corrupted, mate. So the government's government's a bit responsible for all this. Tell us, tell us what you think. Yeah. So um, most of the problems that we have in our lives are all, all created by government. Um, the you know right now they've shut down the entire economy in a lot of places, and a lot of people are struggling to figure out how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to feed themselves. And if it weren't for these government programs, we wouldn't have these enormous debts in the United States. It's uh, you know most people when they buy a house, it's third debt. And that means they have to worry about how to pay the mortgage. If they've paid the mortgage off, now they have to worry about how they're going to pay the property tax. Um, and if they can't afford to get in here at all, because these these programs that you know the government backs the banks so that they make a lot bigger loans, it increases the values of the houses or the prices of the houses. It makes it much more difficult for people to get into those houses in the first place. And so uh, a lot of people can't buy their own homes and a lot of people just rent. 87% of the country is in debt. Um, and... Because of that, everyone is is living on basically month to month, paycheck to paycheck. And uh, this is a government created problem and it's created through a system of, of over taxation. So if we eliminate this, we put people back on a, on a you know, uh, we put their lives back on a solid foundation where they're able to have their lives. And if they lose their job for whatever reason, uh, for an extended period of time, it's not that big of an impact on their lives. Um, and, and we really need to understand that because while this uh, this virus thing might not happen every year, might not happen every decade or every century, there are always natural disasters, um, car accidents that might that might prevent you from working, um, or just an illness or a death in the family. Whatever it is, nobody should be in that much debt that you can't take that much time off of work because that that really puts us into a system that's like slavery. We're worried about working, 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 and not worried about about taking care of our own uh, our own families, our, our own health, um, and just spending time enjoying life. This is all a government problem. So eliminating a lot of these programs that they have is going to fix a lot of this. 100%. I sort of agree with you. So so who, who are you? How did you end up, one, getting the kahunas to run for the you know, United States presidency? Because let's be fair, the average Joe doesn't think of themselves, let's go and do it. I sort of did something a little bit similar over here in Australia, and I sort of ran in the federal elections as well, because I don't mind stirring the pot. But what, awesome. what made you do awesome. what, what, what made Dan Berman sort of, you know, have a crack at this sort of thing? And, you know, what was your background as a kid? Did you grow up being a libertarian, go, I really don't like government very much? Or did you grow up sort of and develop along the way? How, how, did, this, how did this all come about? Right. So I was actually, um, I grew up in, in California, which is very left, very, uh, very kind of socialist or, or Democrat. Um, it's a blue state. And so being around all that, I was always concerned with social issues. And I was always, you know, why doesn't the government just just print a bunch of money and take care of the homeless and, and feed everybody who's who's starving and everything else? Um, that was just kind of the mentality, because these were the problems that I was faced with when I was young. And, you know, of course, not knowing how politics or economics works, those are those are the quick solutions that you jump to. And really, we see a lot of people who are pushing for those same solutions um, in the real world, which is kind of scary. Um, but from that point, I started to I wanted to build a business because I didn't want to spend my life in um, in, a, in a place of poverty. I wanted to be able to, to build something for myself um, so I, I wouldn't be worried about making money for the rest of my life. Um, so I became an entrepreneur. I tried starting businesses. I did so many different things. And of course, the government was always there telling me, well, you need a permit for this. You need a license. You need to pay taxes and all these other things. And, you know, when it when it gets personal like that, you sit there and wonder, like, why should I pay you taxes for this? What are you contributing to my business that I should have to pay taxes? Um, I'm, and of I'm course, working people, my ass off. Yeah, exactly. A yeah, lot of people and you're, and you're taking a cut. The, the exactly. business partner nobody wants. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they want to take they, they want to claim ownership of your business. Like Obama said, you didn't make that. We made that. Um, it's you okay. know, it's this idea that, that all of society helped to build the business. Yeah, they did. Um, but when I build my business, the way I repay that to society is my business purchases goods and services from other businesses. We hire employees who work for us and we exchange uh, money with them. That's how we repay society. We pay for the things that we need to actually use. We don't just give money to these politicians who are going to go recklessly spend it trying to invade other countries and and you know uh, 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 pay off subsidies to their friends' businesses and billions of dollars into into these corporations. Um, that's that's not what we do. That's not how we repay it to society. And it's not repaying it to society. Um, it's it's just, that's the illusion that the politicians have created for us. So I started really getting into this. I started fighting the IRS. 
um, and you know the the taxes and and everything else. And then I started learning about how the system actually works. And I noticed that really a lot of this is made through empty threats. They have, um, you know, they'll enforce laws. It's kind of like if a bully comes up to you and says, give me your lunch money. You don't have to give him your lunch money, right? There's no law that says you have to. But of course, if he says, well, that's the law. Uh, I'm, I'm bigger than you and meaner enough, than you, yeah. Yeah, then you're going you're gonna to cave in and say, oh, well, he says that's the law. I'm gonna, and that's exactly what the government does a lot of times. They actually lie about what the law is. Um, they send enforcers out to, that violate the Constitution and violate your rights. And um, th this happens all the time, but they're intimidating you into complying with things that you don't have to comply with. And once I realized this, and I stopped complying. I started. Um, I started. You know, just a full-on retreat from government. I was. Um, I got rid of my my driver's license, my vehicle registrations, everything else. And I. I decided I wanted as little participation as little participation with government as possible. Um, and in doing so, I realized how you know how little power they actually have to enforce a lot of these things. And then I started talking about it to other people, and you know, just the 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 way that other people lit up, understanding that you know. Um, this idea of freedom means we shouldn't we shouldn't have these bullies that work for the government that run around telling us how to live our lives. Um, you know, people just lit up and they they responded so well to this message um, that I continued to spread it. And this this message has actually spread all over the world. Um, uh, of course, in Australia, um, people all over Europe, um, Asia, Africa. Um, and South America are really, they're really tuning into this message and they're really supporting it. So um, it, it seemed um, because the federal government is the basis for a lot of the problems, like a lot of the major problems in the United States, I figured that's where, that's where I could attack and say, these are the programs that we need to get rid of. And so it just kind of became obvious that running for president would be a great way to do that. Um, getting into politics is something I never wanted to do. Um, I, you know, I, I used to like uh, movies, making them, watching them, uh, video games and computers, playing them, programming them, and, and, and these sorts of things. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of a technology nerd. Um, and I never, never thought I would be getting into politics, but you know, after a certain point, it's like you you recognize that this has to be stopped, and if, and you know nobody else is going to do it because the people who are actually politicians and lawyers and these other things, um, they're fighting against us, every single one of them. Uh, you know, there's there's not, we don't have somebody who's fighting for us, and so if that has to be me, that has to be me. So I got up and did it. Congratulations. I think it's fantastic. And I sort of feel mm -hmm. a bit the same way. I'm a, I'm a chef by trade. You know, I've, I've had little entrepreneurial outputs and things like that. You know, I, I didn't sit there and go, I'd really like to be involved in the political sphere, but I just watch everybody just happily. Well, not even happily. Sometimes it's just out of pure fear, towing, towing the line. Right. We have to do this because, well, that's just how it is. And I, I've always questioned that. I always found that a bit, bit off-putting. I sort, of, I, I sort of liken it to if the mafia was in charge, at least that'd be fun while they take all of our money and scare the piss out of everybody. <laughs> uh, they you know, have good parties, I hear. What's so, that? Uh, look, oh. so, sorry. So look, I guess um, there's a couple of, couple of key questions. Now, I'm going to ask your thoughts on Donald Trump because you're obviously ballsy enough to run against the guy. I think he's a lot of fun. I don't agree with all of his policies, but I kind of... I personally prefer him over the alternative that was that was sort of put forward, and I think that'll probably stay the same. Obviously, unless you manage to to get up, but based on based on the big two, I sort of kind of find him a lot of fun, and I kind of find him interesting. And to be fair, he does have that business background, which means in a lot of ways he's more practical than than some of the guys who have just been career politicians. How do you find him? I mean, have you you interacted with him? Um, have you told him you're going to kick his ass for taking too much tax? Where's the letter? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have told him plenty. Um, uh, unfortunately, Twitter is the only place I've, I've got a direct contact with him. Um, he's not going to pick up my phone call. Um, but you know, it, it, he is really interesting. Um, you know, as if you look at him as a, a comedian or an entertainer, um, absolutely, he's very funny to watch. Um, and, and, you know, he does do a lot of things where he's, you know, he's pushing back against the system, but you know, what, what I saw and, you know, he, this happened from when he was even running in the, in the primaries with the Republican party was he mentioned how much money he gave to all these other, all these other people who were running. Um, and so while he might not have that history of being the politician, he's, he has the history of being the guy who bribes the politician. So, you know, he's not, he's not innocent from all of this corrupt politics, like a lot of people think he is. 
Um, and, you know, he has done some really good things. He's done some really bad things. Um, and I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, he's he's really interested in himself. Um, so if he does something that's good for the economy, that's a good thing. Um, but what's what's his rationale behind that? He's he's thinking selfishly. He's thinking about himself. What's good for me? And that's potentially very dangerous. Um, you know, one thing that we see is the economy has been doing great. And it's, you know, one reason is that he's cut some taxes and, you know, he's done some other things, but he's at the same time, he's also started a trade war. And, um, you know, he's, while the economy was doing good and the stock market was going up, um, that that's not really a great indicator that America's in a good place. Cause as we see now, coronavirus came in, not, and nobody could have predicted it, but it came in. And because of this, we've had to shut down the entire economy, which, is you know not the best thing to do in in my uh in my mind um but we've had to shut down the entire economy and now we realize that even though the stock market was was doing so well and maybe unemployment was so low we're still at this point where if something if something really big happens whether it's a a, a natural disaster or you know whatever it is and a, a, an entire city or an entire state or an entire country has to stop working um we're in this position where people can't survive we're, we never had our own nest egg. We never had um, ownership of our own property. And so, uh, you know, th this is, that's not a concern for the Donald. Um, that's, you know, for him, it's no, let's make the stock market go up. Why? Because he owns lots of stocks. Um, and yeah. that's, that's good for him. That's good for business. So, and then he started, of course, the trade war with China, which, you know, it, it makes him look good politically. It, it helps create more jobs here in the U.S., but it also makes things more expensive. And it's it's uh, you know simply put, it's it's not ethical. Um, you're 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 ultimately um, uh, threatening force against one person from doing business with another person because you want to give one other person a, a, an unfair advantage. Um, yeah. Which you know a lot of a lot of people will cheer on through patriotism. Um, but ultimately, like that's that's not something we should do. We we would be absolutely up in arms if they did that between states or between individuals um, in in the country. And actually, there <laughs> there is a lot of that going on with uh, you know the way that we have all these regulations that protect monopolies. Um, if you want to talk about that, well, why hasn't he broken up all the big monopolies? Which you know it it doesn't take the government to come in and say we're going to separate you into two separate businesses all it takes is the government to say we're going to get out of the way for anybody who wants to compete with you we're not going to be so hard on them as far as regulations and, and requirements to get started up which is why those things are there in the first place to protect those monopolies um so so like i said he's done a few uh, a few good things but i think it's absolutely coincidental to you know what is in his self-interest yeah yeah it does seem to line up quite a lot but in, in saying that, I suppose when you look at somebody like Bernie Sanders, from your perspective and your your catchphrase and philosophy, uh, which I subscribe to, to be fair, does Bernie absolutely scare the pants off you relative to how he, how he would like to move forward? Well, it, it's interesting. And uh, I don't know if you saw the news yet, but uh, Bernie Sanders just dropped out today. Um, I saw it this morning. I was watching it when, when I first was sort of setting this all up. I was watching the news and I sort of thought, it's as as much as it's but from my perspective obviously we're in a different country and i kind of go yeah bernie's terrifying obviously you live there or you know you're in that in that system i've always seen australia as like a little brother sort of to america in a lot of ways where mm -hmm. we're usually a, a few years behind we have a lot of similarities but we have some dissimilarities as well and i i everything i've seen about bernie and aoc and all those guys just right. terrifies me just yeah. terrifies me <laughs> It, it, it is um, it is terrifying to one degree um, to another degree I think I think there's um, I, I see some really great opportunity um, especially now that Bernie's dropped out um, it's a great opportunity to come in and get a lot of his supporters um, to support our mission and you know one of the things that Bernie's really great at identifying a problem uh, he's just not not that great at coming up with a solution. So for example, our healthcare system is absolutely ridiculous. It makes healthcare so expensive that nobody can afford it. And what Bernie is trying to do is say, okay, um, you know, this isn't fair. This is a system that was created by, by billionaires and corporations and corrupt politicians, which is all true. Um, but his solution is, of course, socialism. My solution is, no, let's get rid of the corruption and everything else that, that created this system. And in order to really do that, you just have to have a, a better understanding of, of what was actually put in place to make to, to, you know, to bring us to 
where we are. And in doing so, and in talking to, um, you know, the people who support Bernie's campaign, because they're, you know, you know, recognize that, that you've got two classes of people, you've got the politicians and the people who are supporting them, right? Um, the people who support Bernie, they're not necessarily pro-socialism, they're pro-fixing the healthcare system. And he's the only one who's out there saying we have a solution. And then, of course, I'm out there saying, oh, I have a solution too. Um, it's just that I don't have a huge party to back me up with that. And of course, the reason for that is, is uh, you know, uh, my plan, uh, my solution is not going to uh, make people rich. And so uh, those rich people who, who own that party are not going to, to back me or support me in any way. Um, and so, but, but there is really a great opportunity here because I can take this solution. And in fact, we have taken this solution and we've given it to Bernie Sanders supporters. And they've, they've even while Bernie was running, they said, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a better plan. Um, because we can always point out how, you know, how the socialist system is, is, you know, has failed throughout history, which, you know, that doesn't really fly well because you're just telling people, no, you can't have that. But uh, but when you offer a better solution in in response to that, then people actually really get interested in that. And especially to show that that um, that my solution actually fixes two problems. Bernie's solution fixes one problem. It says it says, you know, OK, all we're, we're going to make a bunch more people pay into this system. So anyone who can't afford health care can now get it. That fixes one problem. It doesn't fix the problem of the billionaires because, of course, when you have more people paying into a system, if you don't fix the system itself, you just have the system that's going to say, well, we're going to raise our prices because we know the government's going to have to pay no matter what. And then they're going to be taking on more money and the rich are going to get richer. Under my system, you get rid of monopolies. You get rid of all these all this extra bureaucracy. So you lower the prices naturally through through a fair market. And the billionaires are no longer making their massive profits. They're going to make a little bit of profit. They're going to they're going to make enough to to incentivize their businesses to grow. But there's also going to be more businesses. There's going to be more hospitals. There's going to be more doctors. There's going to be more medicines available. And the, and, and the cost of everything is going to be so low that anybody even earning minimum wage is going to be able to afford all the health care that they could possibly need. And of course, it's arguable that as as the competition increases, the quality of service will increase because they're going to have to do a better job. That Absolutely, was, that, that seems like a fairly, fairly standard. Australia yeah. has a brilliant, a brilliant medical system. I mean, really, on a, on a world scale, our Medicare system is really good. Which is funny because anybody who saw my election stuff will go, "Well, you were criticising the government supporting." My criticism often came came in from you can't opt in or out. We had a we had a bit of a a program came in that we had to opt out of. We didn't get the choice to opt in. We were just automatically put on this list, and then we had to, if we knew about it, opt out which I took great exception to. And the other thing that I took a lot of exception to is what our, our politicians are now doing is saying, well, everybody's foregoing private health insurance because our government system is, is actually quite good. Well, the insurance industry will collapse if we don't support it. So we're going to raise your personal taxes if you don't have uh, private health cover. Oh, wow. Well, they're not yeah, gonna, both. But, but, but yeah, but they're, they're stinging us on both sides. And most people aren't seeing it because they're going, but we've got this really great health system. Oh, but I've got private. And if you talk to most people on private, now there's uh, exceptions to every rule, of course. Some people go, no, my private health cover was an absolute saviour. And that's great. Well done, no problem. But it's the, the opting in and opting out and, oh, we've got to save the insurance companies. So we need more Australians to go and get uh, their private health cover. So if you don't, and I can't remember the age, age group it is, but if you're in a certain age group and you haven't gone and got yourself private health insurance, you creep up into a tax bracket where they, they charge you more to cover your Medicare because you're not going to go through the other side. And it's sort of like, well, that's, it's a sly way of forcing people to participate in two industries. You're supporting the government and the insurance companies, which I sort of take a little bit of issue, right. issue in regard to. But other than that, all right, the next interesting person I'll ask you about, Tossie Gabbard. She's almost a centrist. You know, I've, I've seen libertarians over here and in the States because I'm on all the groups and things. Now she seems to seems to attract a, a great crowd. She seems to have managed to piss off enough Democrats to not get a Guernsey anywhere, but she also sort of appeals to that that you know the the centrist Republican as well. Have, have, what's what's your take on on her? She seems pretty interesting. Yeah, she's said a lot of interesting things. Um, I'm you know she's. Uh... Uh, she's she's a difficult one to talk about. I, I think you know. I, I think she 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 has called out some other people on their policies. Um, you know, she has she has raised some interesting issues. Um, I think ultimately she's still for a big government solving a lot of the problems instead of 
um, you know, allowing allowing people to solve our own problems, um, which, you know, it's it, it's still interesting because she's uh, a lot of people have said she's she's kind of libertarian, um, which, you know, is great if she is a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, that's that's wonderful. And if she got elected, she would be so much better than a lot of other options that are out there. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, it's you know, as much as you can praise someone for having a little bit of libertarian tendency, we have to say, OK, let's get you over the line. Let's turn you into a full blown libertarian, um, you know, because she does still support a lot of the big government things. Uh, 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 the military. Um, she's, of course, a big supporter of that. Um, and, and so and and that's going to be a little bit more difficult for her because she did participate with the military for a while. Um, but at the same time, we have a lot of veterans who have become libertarians and have, have joined in supporting my campaign and, and other libertarian campaigns. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, it's that it's not unrealistic to to think that in the future we could get her to be a little bit more libertarian. Um, there's I, I really can't say anything terrible about her. I don't think she's you know, she's running around. I, I don't think she has, you know, a, a whole lot of terrible ideas that are going to hurt, you know, a lot of people other than just government in general. Um, and I don't think she has any bad intentions or, or selfish intentions like a lot of the other people running. So, um, so you know, that's that's really a huge plus for her. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like we did see the the Democrat Party. Like I was saying, you know, uh, I could solve the healthcare problem, but if I took my solution into a bigger party like the Democrats, they'd absolutely push me away because I'd be taking money out of their billionaires' pockets. Um, yeah. not, not by, not through stealing, which is how they get money from us, but by, by, uh, protecting fair competition and allowing people a little bit of freedom in their own decisions. So, uh, you know, that's that type of thing they don't like in there. Um, that's one of the reasons they've, they've pushed her out. I'm sure is because they recognize to some degree, there are a lot of businesses, um, and, and billionaires that she's going to hurt if she implemented some of her policies. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I, I do get the feeling watching her that she comes from a genuine place, whereas some of the others that, that you watch, you know, you sort of just think, oh, you're a pure politician. And there is the old old statement that if you if you go through life thinking you want to be a politician for the sake of being a politician, <laughs> you shouldn't be anywhere near politics. You know, right. that's, if you're there to solve a problem, if you're there to you know do something productive and proactive, great, jump into politics. But these people who want to make a career out of it scare the pants off me. Uh, right. Now, I don't know if you know anything about our libertarian movement in Australia at all. Um, it's certainly not as, as big, but I think statistically, we actually do, we compare quite well. Um, I'm a member of a, a political party called the Liberal Democrats, uh, and we sort of, we had a federal senator for five or six years over here, which was a pretty big deal. He was our first wow. Uh, wow. Elected, elected senator, and currently in the current climate, he's no longer a sitting member, but he's also participating in this program. He, um, we also have two what are called MLCs in Victoria. So uh, they're, they're down there doing a, a good job, which Victoria is probably the closest thing to a socialist republic in Australia. And over in Western Australia, we've got a young bloke named Aaron Stonehouse who's also an MLC. So we've actually got three libertarian elected officials in our system. So we're really proud of them and they're doing a great job. And we've got quite a few that are running for council, like, like local councils and things like that. So it's a growing movement over here. So we're a bit excited about it. And uh, hopefully we can develop and grow it. And I'll sort of, with this program, hopefully give a little bit of air to some libertarian philosophies. So what's what's your thoughts, Dan, on obviously gun control? Big, big, big issue. Uh, lots of people for, against. I've always been a little bit, again, on, on, the, on, the, on the, I've been on the park, or sorry, on the fence with gun control and legalizing of marijuana and other drugs sort of thing. I've always been, you know, like, is it really that big of an issue? Does it really matter? And, but I've always been the, the tax, the pro-business, the um, get government out of your bedroom and your life, it's nothing to do with them. Where do you sit on those couple of issues? Yes, yeah, so uh, gun control, I like to say, uh, requires two hands. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it is a, a very um, a divided issue here in the US. Um, and, you know, I know, I know Australia is, you've got a full gun ban at this point, right? We have, what we had was in, I think it was 96, we had a guy and, and look, even, even the validity of this uh, crime is still questioned in many circles about how legitimate it was. But a guy in a, one of our little states called Tasmania went on a shooting rampage 
Um, the general government story was this guy's a nutter. He's gone around with an automatic weapon and murdered a heap of people. Uh, we need to ban all guns. All guns, just lock them up, shut the door. So they had a gun amnesty. Our conservative prime minister at the time, he, he enacted all the, all the gun bans. People still, you know, farmers can still get guns with the right permits and there are sporting shooters who in a lot of ways are still very much demonised and, and there, there are a lot of restrictions. As I said, that's not my bugbear issue, but they, there's, there's, unlike you guys where it's, you know, you've got conceal and carry and you've got right. an awful lot of, lot of things like that. There is a big gun culture in America that Australia just doesn't have. And in around that 96 buyback scheme, We've essentially got a, a, a disarmed population. The citizenry just, right. there, there is no gun, no, there's no major gun culture over here at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, you, you get to a point in society where you have relatively low crime. And of course, right now we have the lowest crime that we've had in the entire world. Um, and it's, it's hard for people to see that because, you know, once you see a crime happen, it's, you know, everybody always says, oh, my God, things are getting so terrible these days when when actually crime has has been improving for, I think, the last 20 or 30 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what's interesting about this is, you know, what is what is crime and where does it come from? Now, a lot of this comes from like domestic disputes, people fighting with their wives and, and you know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but there's also a lot that comes from fighting over resources, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, somebody needs to steal in order to feed themselves because they can't, they just can't get a job, um, or, or, you know, whatever, whatever has made that difficult. And a lot of this comes, you know, going back full circle to, um, uh, problems created by government. They create these taxes, which mean, uh, you know, we can't pay our rent. We can't, we can't afford food and all these other things, um, which make uh, resources more scarce, which mean people are going to fight over them. Um, you know, you don't see people breaking into each other's houses when they live in rich neighborhoods. You see poor people who don't have much um, breaking into other houses, whether they're, they'll break into poor houses or rich houses. Um, but it's, it's fighting over resources is really what it is. And, you know, if we weren't, if the government wasn't taking away from people, there'd be a lot less of that. So we have to, we have to understand that government is actually incentivizing a lot of crimes to happen. When we talk about these actual crimes, it has nothing to do with the guns. People think the more guns there are, the more crimes there are going to be. Um, but the truth is, if you take away all the guns, people are going to do their same crimes with knives. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really, you know, statistically, none of that matters. What, what really matters is that, um, you know, people are able to defend themselves because, uh, you know, you have a lot of people uh, for so many different reasons saying you can never use it. You, sh you, you should never need a gun. But um, what happens if you get attacked by somebody? You should be able to defend yourself by whatever means necessary. And, you know, some people will say, well, why don't you just fight like a man and use your, you know, use your, use your fists? <laughs> um, well, what if you're in a wheelchair? What if you're, you know, what if you're disabled? Uh, what if you're very small and your attacker is three or four times your size? There's so many different scenarios where that, that just doesn't play out. And so while we like to fantasize in our head, you know, we could just get rid of all the guns and it would solve so many problems. Um, that's that's simply not realistic. What happens often is you get rid of the guns and you get more violence because people are, you know, afraid. What's actually interesting about what's going on right now is our our crime rates are down, um, of course, because everybody's locked in over this coronavirus thing. And if you yeah. think about it, it's literally because people are afraid of each other. They're, they're not afraid they're going to get shot if they rob somebody. They're afraid they're going to get some, some illness that's going to kill them. Um, and really, that is the same. That fear is keeping people, um, you know, uh, it's keeping people from committing crimes. And, you know, well, well, should people be afraid? And that's the only reason they shouldn't commit crimes. Well, isn't that what the government is? It, you know, don't doesn't the government come in and say, if you steal, we're going to give you 10 years in jail. If you kill someone, we're going to give you the death penalty. Isn't that really just putting fear in, in someone's mind to prevent them uh, from committing a crime? So if you were to arm all of the people and everybody was able to defend themselves, wouldn't that same fear be just as rational and, and, and apply just as much? And we've seen in so many cases, there was a small town, I think in Georgia, where, um, and not that I like the, the, the use of making this mandatory, but they mandated that, um, that every person in the county um, get a concealed carry license. And after they did that, the crime rate plummeted. Um, and one of the problems that they were, one of the reasons that they did this was, I think they were having a high, uh, high rape of, of rape incidences. And yeah, right. uh, yeah, and that just dropped off. So now it's not even about, you know, somebody's going to attack you with a gun and you need another gun to defend it. It's about, no, somebody's committing a violent crime against somebody. They're usually bigger um, than the person. The person is not able to defend themselves. Um, but if they, if, if 
they don't even have a gun if they just have the threat of, you know, hey, um, you know, somebody wants to go rape that woman. Well, there's a, there's a possibility I might get shot. Maybe I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's so many different ways um, that it's, you know, that it's, that it's good to have that right. Funnily enough, our, um, well, our former federal senator who's coming on as a guest of the show, one of the exclusives, which is okay because I'm going to air your segment after his, one of the exclus exclusives that he's announced is he's actually just releasing a book completely on guns and firearms and statistics and controls and all those sort of things. Right. And he, he read a few of them out to me and they were just unbelievable statistics. And as he said, it's all about the numbers, not the perceived numbers. And he's 100% on the money. Uh, in that area, David's always his name's David Lionhelm. If you ever want to have a have a squeeze at what what he achieved, he did a lot of really good good positive things. And when his book comes out, I'm hoping to sort of give him a bit of a bit of a promotion. But he touches on the United States gun laws and the Malaysian gun laws, and it's a it's a he's, it sounds like he's put a lot of comprehensive effort into it because it is one of his passions. To be fair, so all right, Dan. Um, based on that, how do you feel about the the marijuana, the legalising of drugs? Uh, I've always found it to be a secondary libertarian issue. I always found if you attack in my head, if you tackle the tax and the, the actual social issues first, then the recreational and the, the more um, issues like marijuana and drug drug management, all those sort of things. I always in my head, I always put them put them as a secondary type category. I've always broken libertarianism in, down into into categories. How do you feel about it, and what's how would you tackle it? What's your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I actually um, uh, I have this platform that's uh, legalizing pineapple pizza. And really, that's just a metaphor for the drug war, um, because ultimately, you know, I may not agree with what you put on your pizza, but I will defend to the death your right to eat it. Um, and, you know, if somebody's taking drugs and they're not harming anybody else, or not bothering anybody else, um, what does it bother me? Um, you know, there, there's so much alcohol around the world and alcohol is is so much more destructive to your own body than than cannabis. And yet that's considered perfectly OK. Um, so is it you know, what is this really about? Now, there's a lot of propaganda that's made us believe that cannabis is really bad. But even if it was, what's the difference? Because we also advocate I also advocate legalization of heroin and cocaine and, and anything else. Um, and the reason for this, there, there's so many different reasons. Um, one is, um, you know, if somebody wants to do that to themselves, why are you stealing money from me to take them and lock them up in a cage? So, and then forcing me to spend money to feed them for, you know, however many years um, when this is something that they wanted to do to themselves. Um, why, yeah. why are we paying to save somebody who doesn't want to be saved? It, it makes absolutely no sense. We've spent in the U.S., we've spent over a trillion dollars on this drug war so far. Um, and of course, we already have a massive spending problem. That's just another one of them. Um, but, but what's worse is, you know, you have a lot of people who go through phases in life. They go through depression and other things. And, of course, a lot of a lot of that is created by government programs. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll go back to that. When you tax people out of there, yeah, yeah. You, you tax people into poverty, they become homeless and, and depressed. Um, they're, they're depressed about, you know, uh, I can't enjoy my life because I'm, I'm working two jobs and I have absolutely nothing left. Um, that creates depression and anxiety and all these other problems that, that you know, create an opportunity for somebody to turn to drugs. Um, and so... So, um, uh, you know, you can, you can look at, you know, at, you know, okay, this, this might be temporary. They, they might be able to pull through this. They might go through a phase where they do some drugs. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're high school kids and they hang out with the, with the wrong crowd. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, they get into, uh, you know, some, some bad drugs, but it's just a phase and it's something that they grow out of in, you know, maybe two to five years, um, let them grow out of it. Let them get on with their lives. Instead, what this system does is it says, oh, well, let's see, you're you're 18 or maybe younger now, um, and we're going to charge you as an adult, and we're going to put you in prison because you were found in possession of this drug. This is a felony. Um, it doesn't matter whether or not you were stealing from people, uh, assaulting people, um, you know, doing anything. All that matters is that you were simply in possession. It might not have even been yours. We're going to put you in jail for a certain number of years. We're going to take time out of your life um, that you would normally be spending learning and developing yourself. Um, uh, even if you were on drugs during that period, you're still learning and developing. We're going to take that away from you and we're going to give you a criminal record. So once you get out of here, you're not going to be able to get a job. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're going to be too old. What's that? Your options become very limited when you, when you're, you're tarnished in that, in that, in that way. 
Exactly. You're older. So there's, it's more likely that you're, you, you know, your opportunity of staying at home for, you know, w for whatever time is, is lower now. So getting back into school is going to be harder and it just creates a cycle. So now you have no job, no source of income, uh, no great way to get education. Um, you might not get accepted for, uh, uh, you know, you might've, you might've been really smart. You might've been re doing really well in school, but you got caught with a joint and now you don't have access to a college grant. Um, uh, you know, so, so there's so many different ways this can hurt you and destroy your future. And then we blame the drug when it's no, it's, it's the effects of the, the, um, the prohibition that have created all the real destruction to that person's life. So there's, there's really a lot of different ways to look at it. And I know there's, there's a lot of people who just enjoy using it. If they're not harming anybody, let them. There's a lot of people who, who think there are medical benefits. Um, some of them have been proven. Some are, some are less proven. Um, but, uh, you know, that's your right to, to use medicine, whether it's proven or not. Some people think just vitamin C is going to uh, improve your immune system. And whether or not that's proven, that's your right to do that, if that's what you believe is going to work for you. Um, and, and, you know, even, even going there, you know, uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, medical research firms, whether they're they're private firms or whether they're universities, they're not able to research cannabis um, because it's still illegal. And now we're hearing that that LSD and psilocybin mushrooms are are actually helping to treat PTSD and a bunch of other um, psychological disorders, uh, mental disorders. It, like we can't do the research if they're if they're so illegal that it's illegal just to do research on them. Um, we can't. So what are we actually doing? We're we're preventing access to these things. Um, and, and yes, it's absolutely a tragedy when, when somebody, you know, takes too many drugs, they go, they completely destroy their life. They overdose, overdose, they kill themselves, whatever the case may be, that's absolutely tragic. But how much destruction are we doing to the good of society by taking that right away from somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. So you I suppose in, in, in the way you're putting that, you'd, you'd prefer to move it across as a medical issue than a criminal issue at the very least. Is that, is that sort of, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, yeah, so I guess if uh, th that's kind of a difficult one, but I guess, you know, if somebody has a if somebody has a uh, uh, an addiction, yeah, that should be treated as a medical issue. They should be able to get help. They should be able to um, yeah. find a rehabilitation or something. Um, I still don't think that that should be mandatory. That's, you know, that's maybe something that should be within the family or something unless somebody's actually out there. I mean, you know, this is the thing. If somebody's out there actually committing crimes, um, then then you know, arrest them for the crime and charge them with the crime. Um, but yeah. you don't need to do that with drug use. I actually, I had a conversation with a, with a sheriff um, in Texas who was, you know, uh, we, we got into a discussion about this and he was telling me about, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's addicted to meth who, uh, who just got arrested for the third time for breaking into somebody's house. And he was breaking into the house so he could steal money so he could buy more meth. And I said, yeah. okay, so you, what did you arrest him for? Did you arrest him for possession of meth? No, he didn't have any meth on him. So we arrested him for breaking into the house. I'm like, okay, so, and then you charged him for breaking into the house, right? And he's like, yeah, we charged him for breaking and entering. And how much time did he get? He's getting 10 years. Okay. Um, so what does meth have to do with any of this? He's, yeah, he's yeah, no, that's true. House. he got arrested for it. He's getting charged for it. He's going, he's getting 10 years in prison. What is like, what if he was breaking into that house to steal money so that he could buy a new video game? Should we ban yeah, video yeah. games? Well, well, that's, that's arguable from some politicians as well, that we should be banning right. video games. <laughs> But I mean, a lot of this comes down to the libertarian philosophy of the no harm principle, which many of us sort of subscribe to, I guess. And that's that's why it's so valuable to ask and discuss discuss the concept. I've got a bit of a bit of a theory that no no victim, there is no crime. People go, well, what about if somebody maybe does something? So like, well, you, you can't charge people on the theory that they may one day do some harm if they haven't actually done any yet. That, that's you know you can't right, can't, right. can't arrest people for wrong think or even doing something wrong if they ha only hurting themselves, which I mean, it, yeah, because if you want to go that way, then you should arrest every single per person around the world because every single person is capable of saying, "Hey, I want to steal something." Everybody yeah. can potentially or, do or that. I want to hurt, or I want to commit violence, or I want to do it. Exactly right. right. And, uh, they have the it's, just, it's just madness, and you see the see these guys at the moment with this lockdown from all the viruses. We had a girl down in one of the states uh, who went for a driving lesson with her mother the other day. So the mother she lives with, so she's in isolation with her mother. They hopped in their car and they went and thought, well, we'll make the most of this time. We'll go driving lessons. So some um, some of our local law enforcement, I'm sure they're lovely people, uh, pulled up, had the girl, I think it was a $1,600 fine for wow. breaking social distancing or, or whatever it is. And it's like, no, no, we're in the same social circle that we would be anyway. 
we're not hurting anybody. We know we're not in our house, but who are we affecting? And then there was also a guy yesterday, and we're, we're, there's more and more of these cases week on week that are happening um, over here at the moment because our, our police state's starting to test its muscles and flex its, its boundaries. And we've been told that we're allowed to go out and exercise. So uh, one guy jumped in his car, took his mountain bike out to a mountain bike trail and was pulled up on his own in a mountain bike trail in the middle of the middle of the bush. And he received a six, $700 fine for being out on his own and possibly contaminating someone. It's like, what is wrong with you people? Uh, I, I think it's fairly insidious, the whole yeah. thing, but what, what, can we, what can we do? So, all right, all right, Dan. Um, next libertarian or interesting topic. How do you feel about, have, have you got any philosophies or any theories on uh, the family law system? Obviously, the American and the Australian one's different, but they're, they're, they're a big, big topic issue. Taxation, family law, things like that in my head are the key issues that affect most of society. How do, you, how do you feel about family law relative to America, of course, and we'll just translate it over here. Do you have a stance? Yeah, um, uh, a lot of it needs to be reformed. There's, um, We've got government incentivizing really bad systems. So uh, we've got in, in some states, they incentivize the child protective services um, by how many children they take away from their families. So now basically if I'm working for CPS, if I can take 10 children away from a family um, or from, from various families, I'm gonna get a big bonus check. And it doesn't matter what the reason was to take them away. All that matters is that I take them away. Um, that's an incentive. And so what we see because of that is we see absolutely obnoxious reasons for, for people to take their children away. One is is coronavirus. We see we see people, um, you know, oh, you 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 have a certain job, um, you're helping society, uh, and but you're putting yourself at risk for coronavirus. We're going to take your children away. Um, uh, some parents smoke cannabis or there's a rumor that they're smoking cannabis and not even any actual proof. They'll come and take the children away. Um, uh, adults don't want to, they, they don't want their kids to go to certain public school. And, you know, they say, Hey, we don't agree with this. And, and, you know, we have a public school system where, uh, uh, we actually had one of my supporters is, is a teenager who's in high school and, uh, they were imposing laws on him that did not exist. And when we confronted the school about it, they said, well, we make our own laws here. And, you know, even though we showed them a law that says they have absolutely no authority for it, they insisted that they had the right to, to create their own laws. So, uh, so this mother wanted to take her, her son out of public school. And of course that can create problems and they can use that for a reason to, to take him away. Um, there, there are so many different problems that are incentivized. When you get into the, the, um, uh, the child support system, uh, so you have a divorce. Uh, um, of course, when there's a child, things get really difficult and, and people want to fight over this. And, you know, it, it's a tough situation. There's, there's no, you know, there's, there's no easy solution to any of that. But the problem is when the government comes in and says, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, to, they say to the judge, if you separate these people and you force this person to pay, you know, $10,000 in, in child support over the next year, um, we're going to give your state an additional $10,000 for your budget. Now the judges are incentivized. Hey, we're going to impose as much child support, even if it's completely unreasonable, even if we know the father can't pay it, we're going to impose as much as we possibly can because we're going to get the money from the, from the federal government. Um, you know, there are all these programs in place and all they do is they, they create this division. You actually have laws in place that, that incentivize divorce. Um, uh, you have, you have um, subsidies for women who are divorced, who have kids. Uh, the more kids they have, um, there, there's a... Um, there's a, a program, a welfare program, where women can receive money uh, for every kid that they have, but not if the father lives in the home. So that's incentive for them to kick the father out. Um, and, you know, you take all their money away from uh, from child support and they're looking for, OK, how can I how can I make some more money? And some of them turn to, uh, you know, side hustles, selling drugs, whatever it might be. Um, to to get some more money, and of course that ends up getting getting them in prison. And you know it's 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 just another problem that's created by government that that has set you know this this series of dominoes um, uh, in place that that are just absolutely destroying families. So you know we absolutely do need some reform. Yeah, for sure, it feeds into a negative cycle clearly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so you touched on education, and since since we're going all in, and we're gonna we're gonna sort of tackle the big issues. How, how would you uh, see the education system being reformed uh, in in your your way of doing it? I'd sort of have my own thoughts, but what are, what are yours relative to a way to improve the quality of the education of our children? We worked out, I think, last year, they did a heap of testing on Australian kids 
and we were about four years behind at primary school level than say Singapore's children, which I found appalling considering how much our government manages and tips into tips into these programs. What are your thoughts on the American version of and, and how would you tackle it and how would you improve it? Absolutely. So we have to understand that the reason our education system is so bad is because um, it's not designed to educate us. Um, it was designed to uh, make factory workers. Um, and there's there's so many different arguments for this. Um, uh, one, one of the uh, gentlemen that I'm running against, Arvind Vora, is actually, um, uh, he's an educator and he's got uh, you know, he's got so many, so many things he could say about this. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of person I'd like to put in charge of, of the education system. But of course, the Federal Department of Education needs to go because this is trying to create a one size fits all education program for the entire country. And not everybody thinks the same or works the same. So, you know, you have programs like No Child Left Behind, which have um, basically made, in, instead of making the kids smarter, it has made the schools dumber um, to make sure that everybody passes. And, you know, the, the reality is everybody's different. And it's, you know, they, they try to divide people on these standardized tests and say, these kids are smarter than these kids. Um, and that, that might not even be the case. They might all be smart. It's just that they have different ways of learning or they're interested in different things. Um, I know when I was going through public school, I, I absolutely could not pay attention um, in, in my like English literature classes, geography and history. I just was not interested in that. Science and math, I did really well in because that's what I was interested in. And that's of course why I became a computer nerd. Um, but <laughs> But like, that's, that's the thing. If you allow people to study what they're interested in, some people are really interested in, in medicine, um, allow them to study medicine and, and chemistry and all these other things. And they might be really great at it, but just because they failed on like, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, English literature, you know, whatever, cause they were too bored to read the book does not mean that you should fail them out of, out of high school and not allow them to become a doctor. Um, that's absolutely insane. Uh, so there's a lot of that. Um, competition is really important. And, and, you know, what I mean by that is we need to have different options. We need to have different options where you can say, okay, if my kid's not doing that well in this school, let's take them to a different school. Let's try homeschooling. And, and in fact, right now on this lockdown, everybody's essentially in homeschooling and we're, you know, we're seeing that it actually does work. And a lot of parents are being forced to see, hey, if I stay home with my kids and I actually work with them and teach them, um, first of all, I'm actually going to know what they're learning and I can, I can have a little bit of control over that because right now we send our kids to school. We don't know what they're learning. They come home and, you know, it's not like they can, they can repeat everything thing to us. And we don't know if they're being indoctrinated or, you know, brainwashed into, you know, uh, praise the government, that kind of stuff, um, <laughs> which is which is really what's going on. Um, which I do suspect that that does occur. Certainly it, yeah. it occurs over here in some capacity. And I suspect the same over there. Absolutely. But, you know, to, to what degree? It's like, it's you know, for a lot of people out here, it's like, yeah, we know it happens, but that's our only option. I know plenty libertarians who send their kids to public school and you know they, they try to they try to re-educate their kids once they come home but they're like i can't do the homeschooling i don't have the time and of course this is another government problem because remember back in like you know uh, 50 or 75 years ago um not everybody was in the workforce there were there were a lot of stay-at-home uh stay-at-home moms stay-at-home wives um that you know th that uh you know that's that's what society was made out of and at some point they said okay and i think this was like around world war ii they said no we need to Im improve our workforce we need to get everybody into the factories including the women um and yeah. so you know and so it used to be that like half of the country was unemployed and now we're worried about oh it's five percent unemployment that's unacceptable um <laughs> it's, it's not about letting people stay at home and, and living their free lives it's about getting people into factories and that's why you know you look at the school system i don't know how it is out there but in the u.s it's you go to school you hear the bell and when when the bell rings you get to class and then when the bell rings you get to leave the class and you get to go have lunch that's exactly how a factory works you hear you hear the bell you hear the whistle whatever it is um start work stop work start work stop stop work. And that's, that's really what it is. It's absolutely insane. But that system was designed and you go back to, you know, to, to who actually put that in place. And, and, you know, it was the Rockefellers who came up with the federal department of education and they had so many factories. That's what this was. This was a product, a byproduct of the industrial revolution. It's absolutely obsolete. It's not there to make us smart. It's there to turn us into employees. Um, and it's not, it doesn't teach us anything about survival. It doesn't teach us how to do our taxes. It doesn't teach us how to buy a house. It teaches yeah. us how to be good employees. And how that's does, it. How so, does the banking system work? How does interest on a credit card work? How's afterpay work? 
None at, of that. Had you, how do you cook, clean, take care of yourself? You know, like it's amazing the stuff that they're they, they, those are some of the classes. Those are some of the, the uh, I guess when I was growing up, they were already starting to phase those classes out. How to repair your own car, how to, how to, you know, the, the home economics, how to cook and, and yeah. all this other stuff. They started getting rid of those when I was in high school. And um, why? These are, these are survival skills. They're life skills. Yeah, that's right. One of the other things I noticed certainly over here with our primary school. So when I went to primary school an eternity ago, the, the fencing around the schools, and I just noticed it because that's just one of the things I noticed was I could, as a, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-old, I could climb over the fence quite conceivably to, you know, get a ball or whatever we were doing as kids. And that was from the school. I drove past my old primary school the other day and it looks like a prison. And it used wow. to be a beautiful wow. school, but, you know, now the, now the fences are, are massively tall and I don't know what the schools are like over there. I know a lot of the schools over here have become that way. And the argument is, oh, well, it's to keep the children safe. To keep them in their, their their safe zone. No, no, it's to keep them in a cage. I don't know if you're preparing them for jail or you're just teaching them that it, it's okay to be locked into an environment, but that seems to be my take on it anyway. And I sort right. of think, you know, you're just indoctrinating children to be good little battery chicken, battery chickens or, you know, cage chickens. Yeah. And, and you know, the, whether or not the cage actually has that effect is, is you know, it could be because there are so many things that the government does with good intentions that are absolutely just destructive to our lives. So they might say, oh, yeah, these kids are jumping the fence to get, you know, to get the ball. We need to figure out a way to keep them in. So they build a bigger cage instead of saying, um, you know, maybe we don't have enough adults to supervise these children, which is like it's it's like, what, 30 to one or when they're on the playground, it's probably more like 100 or 200 to one. Um, and, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, maybe maybe we shouldn't be sending our kids to these schools where they don't we should we should keep them at home and educate them ourselves one on one or, or you know it might be two on one or two two adults to five children whatever it is that's how people should be educated because when you're in school you know first of all you're you have this uh, this emotional bonding connection with with your parents and with your teachers right and if you're you know if, if the time your kids turn three or four years old and you send them off to public school they've only spent a few years bonding with you and now they're going to spend uh, you know, over a decade bonding with like all these total strangers who who are going to teach them all this information about life and, and, you know, what they're supposed to do with their life. And it disconnects them from their parents and from the families. And and I think there's a lot of, you know, it, it might be absolutely well-intentioned or the intention was just to create factory workers to to improve the lives of families by having, you know, better employment. That might, you know, um, a noble cause, but all of these side effects that it's creating, we have to recognize, Hey, these are not good. How far back on this can we go? How many of these, how many of these can we fix and go back to the original way? Because that's so much better. Yeah. 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 No, I've, I've sort of always thought that, it, that, that every, every reaction has a, a, an equal and opposite reaction is the, the old saying, I guess, I guess the next, next portion of um, the education system is I've, I've done a little bit of homework on uh, Milton Friedman, the famous libertarian economist. Now, he, he advocated for a voucher-style system which allowed, for example, one school to go, well, you know, we've got some great home economics and metalwork and car shop teachers here. Maybe we should um, focus schools on different vocations a little bit more as opposed to just generalised indoctrination centres. Do you see any value in that concept in modern times? Obviously, he came out with that quite a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good start. Um, of course, ideally, it's not that great because you're still forcing people to pay into a system. And if you happen to have a child, then you get some of that money back and you can take it and use it for their education. Um, we shouldn't be paying for education that we're not using. Um, if, you know, people are concerned that like, OK, if we don't uh, if we don't have government pay for education, we're going to have a lot of people who are they're, they're not going to take their kids to school. Um, they're going to be uneducated. They're going to be stupid. They're going to be a problem for society. That's not necessarily true. Um, but, you know, when you consider all of the money that the people are going to save, um, everyone will be able to afford the school. Plus, the, the, I mean, you know, the, the government spends like somewhere between 30 and $60,000 per year on each student. Um, that's a lot of money. And if you consider that the cost of education is really a fraction of that, when you consider that you can homeschool your kids with a better program than a public school for, you know, just a few hundred dollars a year. And you consider if you get rid of the school 
taxes that are in your property tax, you'd save thousands of dollars per year and replace it with just a couple hundred. Um, I, I think we'd really be doing a lot better. And a lot of this comes from technology. When I talk about the expense of just a couple hundred dollars, um, there are online education courses that are great for um, you know everyone from a three-year-old up to up to college. Um, you can really do this online, which is really great because you know you used to have to buy books before, and now you can you can get a tablet and you can just download so much information without having to have you know print all this paper and create all these expensive books. Which those books, by the way, are overpriced because of of contracts that they have with the government and and basically a monopoly that's in place where every single book that you know you go to the bookstore and buy a book like that might cost you thirty dollars. The schools might be paying a hundred to two hundred dollars per book, and especially when you get to college, it's the same kind of thing, um, except you're paying for it more directly. Um, the, the, the cost of education is really, really, really inexpensive. Um, we just think it's expensive because we look at how much money the government is spending on it and yeah. they're just burning through it. I, 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 I question, you know, just how well they spend their money as most libertarians do. And I guess uh, from, from what you've just said, the this, this coronavirus stuff really could be a great example as to just how non-useful non right. these these... Uh, the current system or the up till now current system has been. Uh, I, I, I joked for the last few years, as a lot of people have done, I guess, online and wherever else, that, you know, the entire education system could be replaced by YouTube. And while that's probably an exaggerated version of, because the education should be in the home, in life, in in your community, the, the actual technical side of it nowadays, you don't need to leave the house for it. So all this, all this people locked in their houses and teaching their kids will be a fairly good example of that, I suspect. Now I know you're you're strapped for for time, but I've got one at least one more um, key issue that I'd really love your opinion on. Now when I I did my little little campaign and whatever, and I'd say, right, we need less taxes. Drop the taxes. Drop the taxes. Drop the taxes. Well, how will we fund hospitals? You just want people to die. <laughs> right. Now obviously, my response was. You know, listen, of course, we don't want people to die, but we want people to be able to opt in and opt out of the system. We want more liberty involved in how these things are funded and we want them to run more efficiently and at a, at a higher standard, I suspect, is, is um, the direction I, I wanted to take, take the discussion. How about yourself? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. the thing we have to realize about taxes is, um, you know, for every dollar you give to the government, 90 percent of that or more is going into some billionaire's pocket. Um, very, very little of that is spent on schools, roads, hospitals, um, police and, and other things. Of course, military is a big one, especially in the United States, but that's mostly a waste because we're involved in wars that are basically benefiting corporations, uh, stealing oil from other countries and, and all this other nonsense. Um, uh, it, a lot of the money that we give to the government is just absolutely wasted. Um, the stuff that we want from government, hospitals, um, people think that the government pays for hospitals, and I'm not sure it, it, exactly how it is in Australia, but in the United States, um, yeah, the government has a couple of hospitals. Those are usually the worst hospitals. Um, the private hospitals are the really good ones. Um, and you have places where you have uh, uh, what's called a certificate of need. So basically, if uh, some people have some money and they want to make some more money and they go to a city and say, hey, let's build a new hospital. There's enough people here that we need a new hospital. They have to go to the government and they have to prove that there's a need for a hospital. And if the government says, no, we don't think there's a need for a hospital, there's not going to be a new hospital. It doesn't matter that somebody wants that somebody has the money and wants to build it. Now, the problem with this is, of course, usually what happens is you've already got one hospital in this town and someone wants to build a second one. And so that one hospital makes very good friends with the politicians in town and says, make sure that nobody else builds a hospital so that we can be the only one we can charge more. Um, and, and that's that's ultimately what we have. And this is how monopolies are created and protected um, in the medical industry. Um, the same thing happens with pharmaceuticals and everything else. So I don't want to get too far from that because we're talking about taxes, but um, but you know, government is the reason why our healthcare is so expensive and why there are so few doctors and hospitals and everything else. Sleep uh, stops and limits the creation of new doctors and hospitals and cures and everything else. Um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to police, what are a lot of the police doing? Most of the police are charged with collecting revenue. They're not there to, to go door to door and say, oh, I heard 
there was a disturbance. Somebody called the police. Um, in a lot of neighborhoods, if you call the police and say, hey, I have a problem at my house, they'll take a while to get there. Why? Because most of the police are patrolling the streets, looking for speeders, people who haven't paid their, their registration on their vehicles, um, those sorts of things. Uh, stopping and, and looking for drugs on people, which, which you know, nobody called the cops for that. Um, and so when you call the cops, there's not that many people to send out to your home. Uh, that's a huge problem. And this is what you're paying for with your money. Um, yeah, at revenue raising as opposed to as opposed to preventing actual crime. Absolutely. Um, and and, uh, you know, and then, of course, it gives a false sense of security that, oh, the police are always going to be there. So I don't need to protect myself. I don't need a gun. I don't need to resolve my disputes. There was a, there was an example of um, uh, someone, uh, a friend of mine was just telling me this story um, that uh, they have a goat in their yard and it's been getting out of their fence. And they have a neighbor who does a lot of like very, you know, uh, I guess, extravagant gardening where they have plants and flowers and everything. And so uh, my friend wanted to make sure the goat wasn't going to go eat, eat the plants. And of course, the other owner was very concerned about that also. Instead of the owner going over to her house and saying, hey, you know, let's let's talk about this. I'm worried about your goat. I don't want it to eat my plants. Instead of him having the courage to say that himself, he called the police to go out there. And so that's tax money. That's what's being spent. It's not being spent to stop real crimes. It's being spent to stop that. Now, the, the goat didn't destroy the plants, and she already had plans to build a fence, and she would have told <laughs> him that if they would, if he would have just come over to have a conversation. But that's the world that we live in, where people are willing to call the cops for every little thing instead of reserving that for when there's an actual crime or a threat of a crime. Um, we, you know, we, we absolutely waste our resources on that, and that all costs money. But when it's free... Like it's free to dial nine one one because we've already paid for it with taxes. Then people will absolutely abuse that system, and of course, sometimes that that turns really bad. Sometimes the police show up. Uh, there there have been people who called the police because they're having a, a disturbance within their own family. Um, sometimes there's somebody who's who's uh, who's uh, mentally ill, and the police show up and they end up killing somebody. Um, because they called the police because it's free to deal with something that's that's not a crime. And the police are, are you know, they're trained. A, a lot of them are ex-military in the U.S. Um, they're trained to, you know, diffuse a situation by killing somebody or injuring them. So it's yeah. you know, it, it's a it's a very difficult situation that we live in. But ultimately, like we have to understand that everything that we want from the government, we could still have. Um, and yes, we might have to pay for it. But if we were if we had to pay for those things directly, instead of paying taxes, we'd actually get a whole lot more and we'd have a whole lot of money left over. You get more, more value for money and you can pick and choose the things, the services and the, the options that yeah, you want to use. Of, instead, of, uh, instead of one school, you have a choice between multiple. Instead of one hospital, you have a choice between multiple. And one might be better than the other, like you said. And, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about having the, you know, that freedom of choice and options. Well, and, and, and it encourages the schools and the hospitals and everybody else to perform at a higher level if they want to acquire the custom or the, the turnover from the from the population. Oh, Absolutely. well, that hospital, I'm not going to that one. It's They, they do a really crappy job. I'll, I'll drive the extra, you know, kilometre, two kilometres, five kilometres, whatever the case may be, to go to what I consider a better hospital, which Absolutely. is sort of the, the, the spirit of competition. And, look, and a lot of this in my, my head too is a, it's a matter of, giving people the autonomy to go back to having some self-responsibility. They, they t tend to, the government has sort of infantilized, um, certainly our government works at it, yours, we're, we're, we're very similar countries. They, they seem to take away that, that entrepreneurial spirit. They take away that, that self-reliance um, in right. some, some right. cases, which to me is that's probably the ultimate crime these these people do is they make you reliant on them they'll they'll break your legs and then sell you some crutches and tax you for using the crutches thank you very much aren't we so good to you that's always been a bit of a bit of a bugbear for me but well dan i know you've, you've sort of you've given me an hour which is fantastic which i really appreciate i know the the audience that's uh growing for resolute tv are going to find you very very interesting so hopefully we can uh generate a lot more interest in your campaign what's what's the uh, What's the status of your campaign? How long has it got to run? What have you still got to do? Obviously, um, there's a lot of work involved. And yeah. I, I don't know how many American supporters will get watching this, but why should people vote for Dan Taxationist Theft Berman? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we do have a long way to go. Um, there's uh, There was a convention scheduled for the middle of May where the nominee would be decided. So um, right now we're basically running a primary 
and uh, when the nominee is selected is uh, it doesn't really happen through um, through the actual votes. It happens through a convention process. And that process, of course, is being threatened by the coronavirus. So um, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen at this point. Um, but uh, at some point, we're going to figure it out. Someone's going to get the nomination. It might be past May. Um, but uh, that's that's really what we're working for right now. And so that's um, that's a process of working with delegates um, and getting our information about our campaign out to delegates to make sure that we can win that. Um, uh, ultimately, you know, for me, this is this is a long term project, you know, whether we win or lose. Um, this is this is something that has turned into a worldwide grassroots movement. Um, like I said, we've got support from every continent on the world. Um, and, and we've got support from every continent in the world, and uh, th which is amazing because you know this is translating into different languages. We're really inspiring people around the world to to want freedom, to understand what freedom is, and to understand that you know we can all have better lives. Um, I visited Uganda, which was amazing um, to see. You know, we always hear about how how Africa is such an impoverished nation, nation, but. They've got so many resources there. And, and when I went there and I actually talked to people and figured out how things work, it's really easy to see that the reason people the people are in poverty is because the government is forcing them that way. Um, they're, they're, you know, uh, basically the, the leaders of that country are making millions of dollars um, extracting, you know, uh, having foreign uh, nationals come in, extracting the resources and selling it to them. Meanwhile, the people are, are being forced to be treated like slaves and, and you know, pushed into um, into shanty towns and, and everything else. Um, it, it's really terrible how they're treating people. But these people are starting to rise up. They're starting to understand what freedom is about. They're starting to realize, hey, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, and, and they're improving themselves in every way, learning to farm, learning to, to build businesses and everything else. Um, people who have been treated, uh, you know, as as you know, almost like slave labor in the past. So it's really amazing to see that, and I really want this to spread. And and what's really interesting is um, in some of the more developed nations, it's really hard for people to understand because um, you know the the government, our quality of life is so good. And we attribute that to the government. The government takes such good care of us, but really it's not that at all. It's the businesses and the corporations that that we're living off of the fruit of their products, the 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 you know, all the luxuries that they've created, the televisions, um, the clean drinking water, um, the electricity and, and everything else. Um, this is all created by by businesses. And we have governments that are actually preventing these goods from flowing to different parts of the world. So we have it really good. And it's really difficult for us to see how much the government is is hurting us when we can all go back to our homes and snuggle up in our comfortable little beds and watch, you know, whatever we're watching on Netflix. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard for us to see that. But when you look at it objectively, when you start to see the government coming after you, coming after your children, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, for whatever reason um, and taking things away from you and taking your money away from you. And when the economy stops and you realize, hey, my life is not as stable as I once thought it was, um, that's when that's when people really start to see. And unfortunately, at that point, it's too late. So my job is ultimately it's something that I'm probably going to be working on the rest of my life is to wake people up to the reality of what the government is doing, how it's destructive, how it's violating our rights and what we can do to change that. Man, I think that's a fantastic platform, and I really hope you you do really really well. And I'm always I'm always cheering for all libertarians uh, in any any capacity, even the ones that I don't agree with, heaven forbid. Uh, but I, I have a feeling that you and I would agree on plenty, and we do seem to agree on an awful lot. Uh, I really appreciate your time for this. This is a fledgling little project, so to Absolutely. have a 2020 presidential candidate on here is a is a real real big coup for us. So we're really happy. Um, I'll thank you for your time now. And, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, if, if we can get on and support Dan Taxation and Steph Berman, have you got websites you want to let people know about where they can contact yeah. you, support yeah. you, encourage you, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so my website is berman2020.com. Um, and if you go there, I've got links to all of the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. YouTube has a lot of really great informational videos on there. Uh, it's also got a podcast where I interview a lot of other libertarians and talk specifically about all kinds of issues like healthcare and education um, and just freedom in general. So there's, there's some really great information there. Um, uh, and just on the website, there's a lot of the different policies that everyone can check out, uh, check out. And of course I'm really easy to contact. So if you want to contact me through the website, you can do that. And I respond to just about every email. Well, that's fantastic. Not everybody can say that. <laughs> <Right>. uh, look, <laughs> what's on for the rest of the day? You going off campaigning? 
Um, yeah, I've actually got a, a couple team meetings. Um, there's, uh, are, are we, are we still recording this? Or is it? Oh, I can, I can log it, log, log it off if you like. Hold on. Oh, Sorry. No, 